Well, welcome to another week of Life Until Death. It is the Christmas episode. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? What? That was actually quite vocal. I think those singing lessons did you well. They were like 30 quid a pop though, weren't they? Yeah, they were. And they stopped because of COVID. Mm, I'd imagine the whole singing spittle sort of thing, unless unless you were doing what you were doing then and sort of microphoning your face, you know, it wouldn't work. You know, that's what all the greats do is they put their hands over their mouth so you can't hear them as well. <laughs> I think I saw Frank not to do that a bunch of times. Yeah, anyway, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, uh, Festive Kwanzaa. Um, Merry Yule. Yeah, Good Tidings happy winter time i don't know it's just it's the darkest part of the year yeah it's the darkest part of the year um so however you get through that have a happy good one yes merry christmas or something and happy happy covid to you all oh no no covid no covid to you all blessed times yeah substantial meals for everybody Yay, substantive festive meals. Yay. <laughs> I'm fine. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. I've um completed all of my university assignments till March now, so that was like massive victory moment. What else has been going on? I'm designing three courses in alliance with my mental health service and NHSE stuff. So Oh, my my fat ass thought you meant like a three course meal. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah, it's um, it's really interesting. I'm sort of developing it in collaboration with current or ex-service users. So it should be reflective and an actual experience rather than just like professional waffle. Because there's nothing worse than doing online training courses, especially where it's just some boring ass person talking at you. Oh, no shit. And somebody who you can tell like has never, hasn't been in the field for like 50 years or whatever. Yep. And, you know. Oh God. Yeah. I'm all for academics, but I think with stuff like healthcare, I think you have to have the practical as well. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, yeah things have been going all right. I've just been eating lots and I have decided to, did I talk about my sad lamp last week? Yeah, I think so. Well, I'm going to talk about it a bit more this week during my topic, but it's really doing work. I mean, I've not used it the last couple of days. I need to use it today, really. Um, but yeah, it's doing the job. The whole seasonal affective miserable bastard disorder seems to be shuffling on. Nice. I've been, Drew and I have been taking vitamin D. Um, <laughs> it's for, well, actually, the Public Health England recommends that people take 10 milligrams of vitamin D every day during the winter, Mm. fall and winter. Um, Also uh, we were doing, we were actually starting some work in the ITU before I left about looking at vitamin D levels in people who are critically ill. And apparently the research has shown so far that people who have any any like i don't know how they tested this in the research but literally any disease like you know somebody's critically ill with their vitamin d levels will be lower than that of a healthy person really that sounds fascinating so i am drew and i are taking the vitamin d if it improves our our mood as well you know great lovely yeah i've been taking what is it fifty thousand i u 
I can't remember what, you know, like the acronym for whatever it represents once per week. That's micrograms, isn't it? I don't know, but it's a lot that, you know, and you take one dose a week and it's, it's doing the job. And I've managed to get the tablets online or the, the capsule things online. They were really quite reasonable. Um, and what? anything. A vitamin D? Yeah. You might be over ODing on vitamin D. <laughs> nope. I have checked the therapeutic levels. Thank you very much. I've BNF'd it. Well, not BNF'd it, but you know what I mean? I've, I've had a look online to, um, with credible sources. So basically so. you're having 50 milligrams. Pretty much. Okay. So like five of my, oh, I think I've got 25. Ooh. Risky. But it's only no, like, right? when I ordered that melatonin online, because you can only get like two milligrams in this country, can't you? Whereas in the States, you can get 10 milligram tablets. And I was bombing two of those a night when I was trying to get like a decent night's sleep. Oh yeah, you're like, hook it to my veins. <laughs> they were good though. And I'm not recommending, you know, people overtake the uh, recommended dosage of anything. But with melatonin, it was a an alternative to like Zopaclone or diazepam or whatever for me. So it did the job short term. I have to say right now, always consult your doctor or et cetera. If you're going to go on any kind of treatment or take tablets that you've purchased, buy your tablets from a reputable pharmacy or source and also read the product literature that comes with the medication. Or at least make sure that Dave on the corner of Western Supermare High Street that you buy your 50p tiazepam from is going to hand you a leaflet to go alongside it. Did you say tiazepam? <laughs> Diazepam, not tiaz. What, the, the, the hybrid one they've got in Western that they mix with like yeah. surf or something. It's got like a tiger on the, on the bottle. <laughs> they mix it with tiger balm. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get around the copyright issues. Like, no, man, this ain't diazepam. This is tiazepam. That's 50 bucks a pill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for um for our general bullshit section of, uh, of this podcast, I have found something phobia-related and Christmas-related, which I'm going to have a fucking brilliant time trying to pronounce. So it's Christinganate. Tecophobia, which is the fear of Christmas, um, and it's a branch of hetophobia, which is fear of holidays. And it says this phobia usually begins in early childhood, like bad events associated with Christmas. Many, many of our rituals can trigger fears, um, like Santa Claus, which is Santaphobia, which is vastly easier to pronounce, or opening gifts, which is dromophobia, or snow. Uh, kionophobia or fire in hearths, pyrophobia, and parties, which is symbiophobia, which can lead to the phobia of Christmas. Um, and it can include the symptoms of it can include rapid heartbeat, rapid breathing, nausea, fainting, feelings of dread, and it can be treated by hypnosis or talking therapy. So, you know, those feelings of dread that you experience around Christmas time, you could have Chris Tongifnatiphobia. Well, how do I distinguish the feelings of dread around Christmas time with the feelings of dread that I experience throughout my entire life? 
Well, I guess it would be particularly bad around the Christmas period. I don't know whether there's a date in which that ensues. You know, it's like December the 1st and the fuckery comes down on you. But I guess it would be pretty definitive. But, you know, a a phobia and a dislike, I guess, are different things. You can be a miserable bastard and dislike Christmas, but are you scared of it? Mm. I got to say, if you're not afraid of fires in the hearths or chimneys yet you will be when we're done with this episode (laughs) i'm really looking forward to that actually the pictures you sent me to upload on our socials were uh were quite special they were quite special very festive so i've been i've actually been able to i work part-time at a museum and we have a santa's grotto over december and i've been very lucky to play an elf um a few times and I usually do this every year. Um, I enjoy it very much. I love it. And But somebody said something the other day, which I was, uh, you know, kids are nervous. Kids are really nervous about meeting Santa, of course. Like, they're scared. They're shy. And the parents are always like, go on. Tell them what you want. You know, and kids are like, eh. Um, and, of course, this year it's a bit different because of COVID. So Santa was socially distanced, which I think suited the kids a lot because they got to stand behind a stack mm. of presents and, like, just, like, basically talk to Santa over a, a distance, um, which I think is much actually a much better arrangement because, like, hey, kids, don't, you know, don't sit in any stranger's laps except for this guy yep. in December. But somebody told me, you know, that they're basically, they're meeting a God, which I like, haven't thought of that before, but it's so true, isn't it? To a child, Santa is a God. Like he's, you know, magical. He's immortal, basically. Um, He's more of an idea than an actual person. And yeah, I think, I think we don't, we need to cut kids some slack, you know, that'd be like me going to meet Jesus. Like, I think I'd wet myself, maybe, like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, Big J, how are you doing? Oh, Can yeah. I sit on your lap? <laughs> <laughs> What's up, my man, Jesus, you know? So, yeah, I can see that. And, yeah, I think I think sometimes fears around the holiday are definitely um, excusable. <laughs> there was a campaign when I was looking to do the research for this. It was a... Um, it was like a media thing. It might have been like the short film or something, but they were saying about the way that having the perception of the naughty and nice list in at Christmas time can really fuck kids up. It's like even my little boy, he's like, oh, have I been good enough to have presents? I'm like, baby, as long as you don't break anything, then I can guarantee that there will at least be something that isn't coal there. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only place that has is in sexy talk with your partner. The only place that kind of talk has like, oh, I've been so naughty this Christmas. Or, oh, have you been good enough for Santa? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, (laughs) That that reminds me of like bad Santa, you know, that moment in the car. (laughs) Oh, God. I think we should leave... Because you're basically, you are, like, so with the secularization of Christmas, and hang on, I'm about to get on my soapbox and put on my tinfoil hat. But, so, we've made Christmas more and more secular. It's no longer a religious holiday. 
we have separated it completely. We have clefted it. Is that a word? Clefted? clefted. Anyway. <laughs> so Santa is coming from what I was talking about earlier. Santa's turning into a God. People are ascribing a moral code and they're seeing their children move away from traditional societal norms and values. So they, how can we rein in our children? Create a new religion, a new God. And, but the problem, the, the thing they got wrong is it's only once a year. They need a new God yeah. to go throughout the whole year. So we need, I don't know, like February Santa, March Santa. Well, I don't know. I, you know, you could just keep Elf on a shelf all fucking year long because we're having great fun with that shit. Like last oh, night, God. Elf on a mm-hmm. Shelf was having cookies with Alien. Um, previous to that, he's been trying to get into the mead that's been brewing. Oh, I'm loving that shit. Don't talk to me about that narc, okay? <laughs> Is this the same philosophy as to why you won't have an Alexa in your house? <laughs> Exactly. The government already is listening to everything we're doing right now. I'm sure they're enjoying it. Hi. You know, oh hello, God. Emma. Six. Yeah. Hi. You're a cunt. Um, but the last thing I need is some fucking elf reporting back to a false prophet. That's, I don't need that in my house. <laughs> Just shit on Christmas. <laughs> no, I love Christmas. Uh uh-uh. uh. I have a list of Christmas movies I have to watch. I have a Christmas mug. I am very much, I love Christmas, but I will not do Elf on the Shelf. It's just the one line I will not cross. You know, I don't need that stress in my life. In fairness, your little one's a bit old for it now anyway. Unless you're doing it for Drew. (laughs) Drew's Elf on the Shelf. (laughs) What's the Celtic Celtic version of that? Like the... Uh... um, Sporin on the Florin? I don't fucking know. (laughs) (laughs) So, moving swiftly on from that. (laughs) So, this week, um, in the life of... I'm not doing a specific person as such, but I'm going to do about a study. And the sources that I got from this... um, So, I'm going to do about a study, and I'll talk a little bit about seasonal affective disorder, because I think that's, that's pretty fucking topical at the moment. So the sources were an article called, sorry, a journal article called I'm Hallucinating a White Christmas, Santa Claus, Coffee and Fantasy Proneness. And that's by Joe Pierre. And it was published in Psychology Today in 2014. And also the second one was Why Seasonal Affective Disorder May Feel Worse This Year and How to Boost Your Mood. And that was by The Guide in Liverpool. There was no author to that. So. Santa Claus is in the subject of academic literature and an article published in Psychiatric Bulletin with a provocative title, What if Santa Die? God, that's dark. Um, Childhood Myths and Development argues that we ought not to feel guilty about perpetuating the Santa Claus mythology to our kids, whose childhood is defined by the freedom to revel in fantasy. You have to say it like the movie theatre guy, like in a world where only (laughs) rational thinking existed. There would be no religion or delusion, but also no myth, fiction, or fantasy. This might prove to be a very boring world indeed. That was good. Well done. So, let's take a different angle on Christmas fantasy and leave Santa alone. Instead, I'm going to discuss a psychology experiment called the White Christmas Test, or WCT. 
In the original version of the WCT, published in 1964, female testing subjects were instructed to close their eyes and imagine that Bing, the Bing Crosby rendition of White Christmas was playing. Sounds like my dear of hell. After 30 seconds, 54% of subjects stated that they had heard the song and it had been heard clearly. This was thought to reflect the ability to hallucinate because of the hypnotic suggestion that was involved in it. A hallucination is a sensory experience that occurs in the absence of any stimulation to our sense organs, like hearing voices or seeing things that aren't really there. It's well known from people that have hallucinatory experiences that, and have mental illnesses such as schizophrenia, in other words, it can be normal for them to hear voices. For example, a surprisingly large number of college students have reported having auditory hallucinations at some point in their lives. I would probably say that's drugs. Lots and lots of drugs. Oh no. Have you ever haven't you ever been like, you know, by yourself in a quiet room and like you hear somebody say your name in your head or something? Or like you hear like, yeah, it's usually my name. Like, do you not ever get that? No, well, unless it's Corey who's like, Mom, Mom, Mom. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just like so like used to the <laughs> I hear this distant voice shouting, Mom, and I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> so he says, but it isn't all clear um, as to what experiences really, uh, what these experiences really represent. Are they the same as hallucinations of schizophrenia or are they something altogether different? In a paper published in 1972, the WCT was administered to subjects with hallucinations associated due to schizophrenia, as well as normal control subjects. Hate that word. Atypical. Let's use that. As with the original WCT study, 40% of atypical subjects reported hearing the White Christmas song. But a much larger proportion of those with schizophrenia, 85%, did so. So this raised the question as to whether the hallucinations of schizophrenia might represent a new kind of heightened auditory imagination. This early finding is consistent with a now popular theory that the voice hearing experiences reported by seemingly normal people without mental illness and those people with psychotic disorders like schizophrenia may be essentially the same, separated perhaps by a degree of intensity. So... The WCT has been used to examine the phenomena, phenomena, phenomena of hallucinations in neurotypical people with modification of the original text. In the main variant, instead of asking to imagine the song, subjects first listen to the actual song in a recording. Then they're told that while listening to a subsequent recording of white noise through headphones, the white Christmas song might be embedded. Um, if they heard part of the song, clearly through the few minutes of listening to white noise, subjects were instructed to press a button. The twist is that the white Christmas song was never actually played within the white noise. Sneaky motherfuckers. Whoa, scientists are liars. Oh, man, science. That was a twist. That was such a twist. That was like M. Night Shyamalan twist. <laughs> So, in an experiment using the design by Harold Meckelbach and Ooh, Vincent Meckelbach and Vincent Van der Ven, thirty-two percent. Oh my god! <laughs> These names, I'm digging them. They are shit hot, and I pronounced them. Um, thirty percent. Sorry, thirty-two percent of a small group of college students reported hearing the White Christmas song within white noise at least once, compared to those who did not hear the song. 
drugs. The students who did, did score higher um, on the creative experiences questionnaire, which measured fantasy proneness, a deep sense of profound involvement in fantasy and imagination. Um, in a subsequent study by the same authors, 35% of college students reported hearing the White Christmas song, which was again correlated to the greater fantasy proneness and was not related to scales that measured self-reported imagery, ability or schizotypical psychotic like experiences, um, like it's like believing in telepathy or sometimes feeling that things aren't real. So that's half of Glastonbury ruled out. Um, <laughs> Together, these feelings, sorry, together, these findings suggested that more than anything related to hallucinations or psychosis, WCT re reflects um, a heightened fantasy proneness in a large minority of normal people. I wish they'd stop fucking using that word. Um, in other words, Why? I'm I'm a perfectly normal person. Aren't you a perfectly normal person? Oh, no. I am 100 percent all American and all British typical person. I have no interests or hobbies that would be considered out of the norm from any scale. Okay. So back into the realm of fantasy through a study. Um, in, other, <laughs> in other words, some of us are more likely to report patterns of noise. Um, and this seems to be correlated with a psychological trait called fantasy proneness. There's nothing necessarily pathological about this trait through Meckelbach and Van der Ven cite other research um, that has been shown that people with a higher degree of fantasy proneness tend to be more susceptible to false memories or to report paranormal experiences. They believe that the association between hearing the white Christmas song and fantasy proneness demonstrates that some people may simply be more likely to show a response bias that favours the reporting of odd experiences rather than actually experiencing them. This conclusion supports an alternative view of normal and pathological voice hearing, namely that they are fundamentally different phenomena. Yeah, phenomena. Phenomena. Dun, 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 dun. Phenomena. phenomena. So a more <laughs> a more recent experiment studied the effects of self-reported stress and caffeine intake on WCT in normal subjects. The authors authors found that hearing the White Christmas song was most influ mostly influenced not by fantasy proneness or schizotypical traits, but rather a combination of high stress and caffeine intake. See, this explains a lot when I used to stop at the coffee house in Western Supermare whilst doing my late night Christmas shopping. And I thought that, you know, hearing this music was just something beautiful that was happening. But clearly I was having some kind of psychotic break. Well, so, you were in Western, so. It's allowed. It's perfectly permissible. Yeah. So. This provocative finding suggests that alterations in brain chemistry from external sources may play an important role in increasing the likelihood of reporting patterns amidst noise. In the final analysis, the WCT is probably a limited tool in understanding phenomenological differences between voice hearing experiences and may not tell us much about anything related to actual hallucinations. Instead, there's ongoing research using a variety of more sophisticated methods, such as functional neuroimaging, to explore differences between normal and pathological voice hearing. In the meantime, when you're fueled up on coffee in order to rise the daunting task of your last minute Christmas shopping, see, he read my fucking mind, at a noisy mall, 
think about whether you can <laughs> happen to hear White Christmas, of course, um, as the most recorded Christmas song is in history. It may actually be playing, but if it's not, don't fret. There's nothing wrong with a little fantasy around Christmas time, whether you're an adult or a kid. I want to say that White Christmas is the most boring Christmas song ever made. It oh. surprised me that it's the most recorded because um, it's it's that class of Christmas song where like the person's by themselves and really lonely. And yeah. I can't stand that shit. Like, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear rocking around the Christmas tree, Jingle Bell Rock, Run Run Rudolph. I want to hear all the like all the bops. I don't want to hear you moaning about how you'll have a blue Christmas or whatever. Like, just fucking chill. And also, I wondered with this study, how much of it is, you know, the whole thing about hearing supposed satanic messages and backwards playing songs. Mm. I wonder how much of that is like, if you think, if you, if you're listening to white noise and somebody says, Hey, we've put a song in here. So listen out for it. Mm. How much of that is that power of suggestion versus I don't think that's hallucinatory at all. I think that's, your brain struggling to create patterns, which is what the brain does. The brain wants to create reason and patterns and everything. Really? Does it? Yes, it does. Excellent. What? What's that? What's that noise? Nicole? Oh God. <laughs> Just like the one you used to know. Oh, Anyway, um, let's let's switch. Um, we now owe the estate of Bing Crosby uh, seventeen dollars for playing that song. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the old seasonal affective disorder now because this one is um, quite relevant to me at least, and obviously Ooh, I am. I the... want to know. Sorry to interrupt. I want to know what fucking genius made it so it would spell sad like come on like that's just perfect isn't it some marketing guru in like mccann ad agency thought yes seasonal effectiveness disorder we can get it printed on t-shirts i'm sad i got the sad oh. it's got i've been like the mayo clinic or something because they're fucking raking it in aren't they hell yeah so yeah Seasonal affective disorder is something I suspected that I had for a really long time before I actually clicked on to trying to do something about it. Because normally between September and February, I am so tanked up on mulled wine just to sedate myself through the process. And I fucking love Christmas. Like, I love the twinkly lights. My Christmas tree always goes up early, which may I say when doing the research for this podcast this week, it was said loads of people have advocated for premature tree deaculation so putting a tree up early just to cheer the fuck up um so yeah i've been treating myself with a sad lamp which i bought for like 25 bucks off fucking amazon it was all good and i've got my vitamin d and yeah i feel a little bit better might be placebo but whatever just the trick that, really that sad lamp is listening to you in your house right now and it's telling amazon all of the products that it wishes you wish to order so well, at least I feel a bit happier while spending. <laughs> okay, so the article says um, things can start to feel a bit harder than usual this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> 
way, lads. Um, <laughs> with colder weather and shorter days setting in. Your mood can be impacted, particularly if you suffer from seasonal affective disorder or SAD. SAD is a type of depression which is that affected by seasonal changes. Depression can last through throughout the year, can't it fucking just? But if your symptoms only appear during a particular season, you might be experiencing seasonal affective disorder. Or get worse during a particular season, not only appear, right? Yeah, and I'm guessing this alludes to the fact it might not just happen in the winter as well. But I, yeah, I, I, summertime sadness besides Lana Del Rey. I love the summertime, which for a goth is really like contradictory to my whole aesthetic. But I love it. Um, so the conditions, the condition can impact on people's mental health in different ways, depending on the severity. Common symptoms include a persistent low mood um, and energy le- levels, lack of enjoyment of everyday activities, concentration irritability and intense feelings of sadness that can intend that can extend to feelings of guilt and worthlessness well i feel triggered on the more severe end of the spectrum symptoms can often include lack of lack losing interest in seeing others i was there anyway um, and physical contact that never normally goes um covid (laughs) sad might make you sleep longer than you normally would so you're becoming less active and less social you might have even had an increased appetite and weight gain it's called christmas time like what yeah um exactly why some people get sad isn't fully understood but it's believed a number of factors might be at play with some people being more susceptible to the changes of um the seasonal changes The dull days and early nights disrupt our circadian rhythm or body clock, increases melatonin, which makes you feel sleepy, and reduces the feel-good hormone serotonin. All of this leads to a great degree of depression or fuckery. They didn't say that. For, For people with SAD, things could feel even harder this year due to the additional stress and uncertainty surrounding the pandemic. From a practical point of view, with more people working from home and people having to isolate or shield indoors for long periods of time, this means less exposure to natural light. Many people are already feeling low during pandemic, which can coincide with seasonal depression and make those symptoms feel a fuckload worse. They also didn't say that. Sorry, I'm, I'm punctuating with swearing for dramatic effect. It's um, nice. It adds a lot to the article, actually. I thought so. Adds a demp that wasn't there otherwise. So, whether you suffer from full bone sad or you got feel or you're feeling more down than normal this time of year, there's things you can do to boost your mood, particularly if you're working from home and not commuting. This might you might find that yourself missing out on the hours of daylight entirely this could impact on your mood so get as much natural daylight as you can by taking lots of walks during your lunch hour creating a workspace in your home which is light and airy um the benefits of daylight supports our circadian system um and helps us sleep at night if you're gonna tell me to do mindfulness i swear to god i'm gonna shut my laptop right now and go home i'm already home i said nothing about mindfulness thank you very much young lady Make sure you're getting enough sleep. So plenty of good quality sleep. It's essential for positive health and well-being. If you're struggling to get a decent night's snooze, cut down on stimulants like alcohol and caffeine and restrict screen screen time before you go to bed. No. Exercise regularly. There you go. When it's cold and dark, doing some exercise might be the last thing you actually want to do. 
like ever um but, but you'll feel so much better afterwards it doesn't have to be much just 20 minutes of physical activity that raises your heart rate can make you feel more energetic and happier making it part of your daily plan as incorporating healthy habits and routines into your day can also give it more structure which is particularly important at current times so also thinking about your diet so it's no secret that what you eat can affect our mental health typically processed foods that are high in sugar and can impact your energy and mood you could benefit from eating foods that support the body's serotonin productions. These include popcorn, oatmeal, nuts, egg whites, omelettes, which is eggs, um, vegetables, fruits, peanut butter and cottage cheese. All of the above I fucking love apart from eggs because I'm recently vegan. During these strained times, it can feel harder to stay connected with friends or family. But doing so could really help prevent feelings of isolation and loneliness. Making dates for social time, whether it's with friends and family, so you have things to look forward to. What social time? What what are we supposed to do? I know, I know, I know. How do I stop being sad, computer? (laughs) Alexa, Alexa, how do I cure my seasonal effectiveness disorder? Buy more Amazon products. My mum tested this and fuck knows how that she managed to test. I was actually I had to have a conversation with her afterwards. Apparently, if you say something concerning to Alexa like you know alexa i would like to die it will refer you through to the samaritans or a helpline charity and offer to support you how fucking good is that oh no i frequently say to myself like oh i wish i was dead like not like i don't mean it but it's just like almost like a tick i have now like if some shit happens i'm like oh fuck like what is alexa gonna think if she comes in my home and she hears me talking this shit well she's gonna host an intervention for you what if you're threatening Alexa physically? What happens then? I don't know. I guess she just gets very sad. Oh no. Is there a is there a Samaritans for the robots? Is there a Samaritans form of Alexa an Alexa Samaritans? Like an AI Samaritans? Wow. I'm seeing we're, the market. We're through the looking glass now, people. That we are, that we are. So seek help if you need it. If your symptoms of depressing are over, depression are overwhelming, it's always advisable that you speak to your GP um, if you can speak to your GP at the moment. So as well as leading an active, healthy lifestyle, you might also require some attri- additional treatment for this disorder. SAD may be treated in the same way as depression, either with talking therapies or a bit of medication. But one of the most effective treatments for SAD is light therapy. So light therapy mimics natural daylight, which is lacking during the winter months and is thought to boost your mood and improve your sleep by reducing melatonin and increasing serotonin. So speak to Doc if you have any questions or queries. But I've got to say those those fucking sad lamps, even though they lit the front room up like Hiroshima, they do the trick. They are shit hot. Wait a minute. If they reduce melatonin, I thought but you take melatonin to have a better sleep cycle, don't you? You take melatonin to wake up. But if you, no, you don't take it to wake up. You take it to go to sleep. But if you use your sad lamp in the mornings, like through the daytime hours, um, not before you go to bed, obviously, then it's going to reset that natural rhythm, which I can completely understand. Oh, I'm an idiot. I thought you put the sad lamp on before you go to bed, which doesn't make any sense at all. (laughs) Wake up! I always want to know what it's like living in those places where it's like dark for like six months out of the year or some shit. Oh, fuck. I'd get so miserable. Like, like, what do you, 
what do you even do in those situations? Like, well, one of my besties, she lives over in Canada and she's in Manitoba. And she was saying, like, even though they don't get the darkness of days because it's not quite that far up, because it's so fucking cold and because it's snowing like 90% of the time this time of year, she's got to be in the house. So I guess it's very similar in that respect. It's just freezing all the time. So I, if I could, if there was the culture and the lifestyle that I'd want in a hot country, I'd do that. I'd be all over that. I fucking love the summer. I love like wandering around in a floaty summer dress to feel the rays on my skin, even if I don't really want to tan. I'm imagining now being in Thailand again. It was lovely. See, but isn't Thailand like a humid heat? I can't be dealing with that. Yeah, I like that. Any kind of heat, really. No, thank you. I like the desert. I like the hot, dry. I just want to feel like an egg on the sidewalk, like... Eggs aren't vegan, sorry. What if I'm not vegan if you ate me, so Wow, that that digressed, didn't it? (laughs) What if instead of a sad lamp we get everybody heated rocks like lizards sleep on? Because I think that would be an excellent choice as well. That could be an option. Mm, Yes. So I thought I would, I'm like, hmm, Christmas desk. Hmm, this isn't as easy as thinking about things to talk about with the butt, right? Mm. So Christmas death, I thought I would talk about people getting stuck in chimneys and dying. That's festive. <laughs> Yay. So we all know Santa comes down the chimney one night out of the year. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really naughty, actually. I'm not going to say like that. Which is why Santa can't can't go near any schools. Um, Okay, Santa climbs down the chimney once a year. What's that? What's that wet sound in the chimney? (laughs) Is there a leak? Is it raining? Santa. Santa. Okay. All right. So my sources, um, I got a lot of stuff from an article on Vice, which was an excellent one called A Brief History of People Getting Stuck in Chimneys and Dying by Mike Pearl. I also got some stuff from an article by Jerry Walton um, online called Climbing Boys of the 1700s and 1800s and a case report in the journal Medicine from 2018 called Sudden Deaths from Positional Asphyxia. Nice. So to start out, I'm going to talk about the death of somebody, and that death is of little Harley Dilly. So Harley Dilly, 14 years old, was found dead on January 13th in Port Clinton, Ohio, and he was in the chimney of a vacant house across the street from his own. He had been last seen when he left for school on December 20th. So this takes place around Christmas. Um, Very festive. Harley was first reported missing by his father over one day after he was last seen. Uh, On the morning of the day Harley was last seen, he tried to stay home from school and told his mother he didn't feel well. Before he went missing, he had broken his phone and was angry because his parents would not get him a new one. And Harley was living with ADHD and autism, but according to his father, he was, quote, high functioning and very smart. So the report that came out after his death by the Ohio Attorney General's office 
said that Harley was never actually in the rooms of any of the rooms of the house, but he had become stuck while trying to enter through the chimney and died of compressive asphyxia. And this is the sequence of events that the report hypothesized. Harley climbed into the roof of the house on a scaffolding supported by a tall antenna. The house was a vacant summer home undergoing renovation, and it was two stories plus an attic. He entered the chimney, which had an interior dimension of 9 by 13 inches. Can you imagine squeezing your ass into something 9 by 13 inches? Yeah, my old leggings. Yeah, like one leg, like... (laughs) This is all you're getting, Chimney. Harley was small for his age, weighing about 100 pounds and able to fit into a boy's size 10 to 12 clothing. He had on winter outerwear, a hooded sweatshirt, and a puffy down jacket. Harley descended feet first. After about 15 feet, he hit a floor in the chimney where the shaft had been blocked between the first and second stories. Unable to descend the first floor fireplace, Harley then found himself unable to climb back to the roof. He took off his jacket, sweatshirt, and football jersey and pushed them out of the chimney through a circular vent about six and a half feet above the floor of the chimney. So basically when they found him, he was only in his boxer briefs um, because he had taken off all his clothes. And they speculate that's because he was trying to make more room for breathing. Mm. Um, He also dropped his eyeglasses out of the hole. As he pushed the items out, the cover detached from the eight-inch diameter vent. The cover and the clothing landed on the floor of a bedroom. Uh, just that little detail about him taking off his eyeglasses. Like, as somebody who wears glasses, like, it's kind of heartbreaking because I wouldn't take my glasses off unless it was a major emergency. Because, obviously, you're so vulnerable if you can't see. Um, so he must have been freaking out a little bit. Um, The clothing was covered with rust-colored dust consistent with chimney bricks. After finding the clothes below the vent hole, police broke through the drywall in the second-floor bedroom to expose the outside of the chimney, then dismantled the bricks to gain access to the shaft. Investigators attempted to use a camera to see inside the tight space, but were unable to get a high-quality image. They then reached into the hole and located Dilly's body. Dilly's head was positioned towards the roof and his feet towards the floor, He appeared to be standing on the floor of the chimney with his knees slightly bent. His body was facing south. Both arms were bent at the elbows and both elbows were up near his head. The right arm was bent with his hand near his back. His left arm bent with his hand near his chest. The body was in advanced state of decomp. um, And like I said, was only wearing boxer briefs. Dilly's legacy will live on through a scholarship funded in his om- honor. Dilly was known to drop pennies around town for people to pick up. <laughs> this is so oh, sad. Fuck. He had a very giving heart and was very brave. He hated to make mistakes and was inspired to become a counselor or a leader in the future, his obituary said. So really unfortunate. Um, I'm not sure why he decided to go through the chimney in the house. Um I don't think he probably didn't just do it on his way to school. Like, I think he probably was playing hooky that day. And I don't know. He just thought, and a lot of people don't realize with chimneys that, like, they're not the easiest things to get through. <laughs> like, uh, no. In modern chimneys, they, they have, you know, all kinds of, like, well, this one was built up to where it wasn't even usable anymore. And so he found that out. And people don't realize how easy it is to asphyxiate. So the history of people getting stuck in chimneys and dying probably begins really, truly in the 18th century. 
So in the UK, it was the fashion to hire a chimney sweep, but the chimney sweep in those times didn't actually do the getting in the chimney and climbing around. That was the job of the climbing boys or apprentices. Um, this was because we, the country went from a switch from the old wood fireplaces, which were enormous. You know, you go into old like medieval places and you have a massive fireplace to coal hearths because people were burning coal instead of wood. So smaller chimneys were better for coal fires. So you had a tiny, you know, nine by 14 inch chimney extending 60 feet or more with a bunch of corners and twists and turns to sort of accommodate living space. You'd have several households chimneys converging into one flue. So it was really, it was almost a maze um, and only a small child or I suppose a little person could fit in these chimneys or you could get a dog to do it. Maybe no. Stop anyway. A down there. Ah, oh, a chimney cat. So Henry Mayhew, who was a social reformer wrote about the short, horrible lives of pre-Victorian chimney sweeps. In one story from 1813, a boy gets wedged in a chimney and his master hears him say, I cannot come up master. I must die here. The ensuing rescue attempt is unsuccessful. So sometimes these accidents were the result of being jammed or fixed, or as it was called in the trade, stuck. So the word stuck was actually a trade term um, among chimney sweeps. And according to online dictionaries, it wasn't actually used in that sense until 1885. So it's possible that getting jammed in a chimney is where we got the word stuck to begin with. Mm. Very interesting. One chimney sweep who had graduated to master sweep noted, and I'm going to try, I'm going to read it as it's, as it's um, <laughs> written. So we'll see what this turns out like. I never got stuck myself, but a many of them did. Yes. And were taken out dead. They were smothered for want of air and the fright and the staying so long in the flu. You see the waistband of their trousers sometimes got turned down in the climbing and a narrow flues when not able to get it up. Then they stuck. <laughs> um. Yeah, so something as small as their trousers getting turned down by accident was enough to get them stuck. Uh, one author wrote more poetically, The chimney sweeper introduces himself through the narrowest apertures. Now and then, indeed, he sticks like a fox in a trap. It sometimes happens that the poor boy has not time to raise his voice. His breast is oppressed. His young and delicate lungs are denied a necessary supply of fresh air. His strength gives way and he dies of asphyxia. He is like a bird found dead in a nest. His hand is clenched and clammy. His little mouth is open, but never more will it give utterance to his joyous national song. So flowery language and colloquialisms aside, what happened to these boys when they got stuck? Positional asphyxia. So this means that the body is positioned in such a way that it prevents the normal movement of the chest and diaphragm during breathing. This results in respiratory failure. In some cases, the body position has a direct hindering effect on your circulation and the venous return to the heart, which may be an additional factor um, contributing to the obstruction of gas exchange. So basically, all those red blood cells getting the oxygen they need and, you know, getting rid of that carbon dioxide. If you're stuck, you're not breathing effectively. You also might be compressing tissues. So it's bad news. 
this form of, of asphyxia is usually accidental. However, it has also been linked with torturing and homicide, including improper or excessive restraining by police or healthcare workers. So you can get, yeah, yeah. So that's what, when, you, when you go on your restraint training, they, I assume, teach you how not to kill people through positional asphyxia. Yeah, well, it's actually more recorded that people um, die of a positional asphyxia within one, three, six weeks, which are police cells, although it has happened in hospitals. There's been a couple in Broadmoor, etc. But yeah, we do go, well, they did used to go into it quite heavily. I guess they still do. Yeah, we saw that with George Floyd um, and the, you know, basically the police. It's not, it's not asphyxia in a sense that you're actually covering the face or compressing the neck. Um, it's just enough to keep the chest from expanding as much as possible. Mm. And that's what happens to these people in chimneys as well. So the mechanism of asphyxia um, can be elicited in a variety of ways. So the inversion, so putting your body upside down or of just the upper part of your body. So you could be, I don't know, like halfway hanging off of something. And I've seen pictures of people who have died of positional asphyxia that are literally hanging out a window, like obviously on drugs or something, but, or just very frail. Um, and they'll be like, you know, just half their body will be upside down or people that find themselves upside down for long periods of time can actually die. Um, because this interferes with respiration, blood circulation due to the increase in interthoracic pressure and compression of the inferior vena cava. So basically everything's upside down and pushing on things that it's not supposed to. A certain restricted posture of the neck, example, hyperflexion or hyperextension can cause partial or complete airway obstruction. So if we think of our airway as a tube, obviously if you bend your neck far back or bend it way too far forward, that alone, along with, you know, possibly along with other factors such as intoxication or critical ill health can cause a, an obstruction in the airway that needs to be cleared. So lastly, the compression or flexion of the torso reduces your total lung volume, functional residual capacity, and pulmonary expansion. So in layman's terms, your chest is being compressed. You're not, when you breathe out, you know, try pressing on your chest and, you know, trying to inhale when you can't get it all the way, you know, out. And while it may be okay for one or two breaths, if you have, if you're in a prolonged, like an hour like that, mm. you're not getting enough oxygen. And that's why it's so, it tricks people because, you know, like I said, a few breaths of comp under compression is not a big deal. But it's the overall total time. How long do you have this person in a restraint? You know, and it's just the whole time your oxygen levels are going down and down and down um, until it's too late, basically. So what ha basically what happened to these boys is they would slip or they'd just get in a bad position. So um, if you look in some diagrams online, basically the proper way to go down a chimney, you have your legs below you. Um, and actually Harley Dilly, from what they described in the, the report, he was actually in an okay position. I just think he couldn't, he couldn't climb out and he was just slowly getting, like we talked about, just slowly getting asphyxiated. But what happened with these chimney sweeps is sometimes they would slip and their knees would come up to their chest. If you yeah. can imagine what I'm talking about. 
Mm. So you're whole, you're kind of holding yourself up with your feet and your butts down there by your feet, but your knees are up by your chest. And in that, if you're in a tight chimney in that position, you ain't never getting out and you're going to slowly asphyxiate yourself. So even today, any given flu leading to a fireplace will be about the 10th of a, the width of an actual fireplace opening. So basically, it's pointless to play Santa and come in through the chimney because you won't fit. You're just not going to fit. Um, <laughs> the, flu, the flu has to be small because if your chimney is just wide all the way down, you risk there, the draft isn't going to be right for the fire. You know, it has to be small, but people still get stuck in chimneys and they still die. It's a funny coincidence, actually, that St. Nicholas is the patron saint of thieves. I think it's reformed thieves, but anyway, because burglars seem to get stuck in chimneys more than anybody else. In Florida in 1986, a burglar tried to get into an empty house via a chimney and got stuck. The neighbors heard screaming on the night of the attempted break-in, but couldn't tell where it was coming from and went back to bed. Two days later, workers heard a tapping sound, but just went about their business. Finally, two days after that, the owner got home to a house that smelled like rotting flesh. In 1989, in New York, a burglar tried to break into a Middle Eastern restaurant and actually almost succeeded. However, he got hung up on some unexpected plumbing inside the chimney. He wound up having his chest constricted by the tight squeeze and was found dead of asphyxiation the next day, his legs dangling in full view of the morning crew when they came to work. The following year, also in New York, two burglars wound up stuck at the bottom of a chimney in a grocery store. It's not clear whether they were trying to get in or out when they got stuck, but their bodies were found a week later. Somebody noticed the smell. I've read of some articles of burglars, people getting stuck and fires being lit and people actually dying of like smoke inhalation and stuff. Um, also, I just can't imagine like, you know, you're lighting your it's picture the scene. It's Christmas Day. Uh, White Christmas is playing in the background or in your head. Let's light up the old Yule log and have a nice roaring fire while we while we sip our nog, our various nogs and um, right, open presents. And you light that fire and all of a sudden you start to smell something and the smoke starts getting backed up. And you smell something that kind of smells like your roast that you've got going in the kitchen, but not quite. Something is a bit off about it as well. Well, buy gum, you might have somebody stuck in your chimney. Oh. Can you imagine that? Merry Christmas, everyone. I mean, it's interesting enough when I know people find dead birds in their chimneys and stuff sometimes, like in their fireplace, like <laughs> a whole ass person, like, just don't do it. Just don't do it. And there's even, there's a couple, more than one report of like a scorned lover, like a woman, both times a woman, which I don't know what that means, but climbing through, <laughs> trying, attempting to climb through their partner's chimney, their ex-partner's chimney. Like, I don't know what the end game is there. Like, what do you do when you come out and you're all covered in soot and shit and you're like, aha, love me. I don't know. But <laughs> like... One of them died, one of them didn't. And I'm just like, whoa, just don't do it. Don't climb through the chimney. You're not going to make it. Anyway. Oh, man. So, of course, the majority of newspaper reports about burglars and chimneys have happy endings. Burglars get stuck, and then they get freed, and they go to jail. Occasionally, the reporters writing about these hapless dimwits make Santa Claus jokes, and everybody laughs. 
But remember, if you decide to play Father Christmas and go down the chimney on December 24th, don't put your knees by your chest. Or just don't do it. It's 2020. Santa can come through the front door. Uh... <laughs> knock, knock, knock. It's Santa. <laughs> Hi, guys. We're following Elf and Safety. Oh, God. Why? I didn't put that joke in there for a reason. <laughs> well, I went there. I went there. You did go there. So, an awkward Christmas question for you. Yes. Hmm. Awkward Christmas question. Awkward Christmas question. Um, let me have a think. Oh, what was the funniest Christmas present you ever received? Oh man, that's a hard ugh, funniest. I don't have one. Okay, what's the most random Christmas present you ever received? Okay, I let's see. Do you want to know what mine is? Yes, a portable handheld duck-shaped desk vacuum cleaner from the Matriarch. Nice. Does it make quacking noises when it's on? I'm sure it does to whoever picked it up from the charity shop in New Year. I remember for Christmas, I was dating this total bum. Right, this was like when I was a teenager, though. I think you're allowed to date total bums when you're a teenager. I mean, they all, they come in all ages, but <laughs> more frequently when you're a teenager. Yeah. So I had a total bum boyfriend who had a recent ex who was not, definitely not over him. Right. And she would, she actually would talk to me sometimes. Like we were kind of all in the same circle of friends and she, I remember her complaining to me that she did that thing where she was like trying to talk shit about him, I guess probably trying to get me to like realize that I didn't want to be with him so she could move in again. She probably deserved to be with him to be quite honest. I think she was more his speed anyway, cause they were both bums. But so she, I remember her moaning that all he got her for Christmas one year after she had spent like a ton of money on him or whatever was polar fleece so like from there's a store in the u.s called old navy um which is like kind of a like a step up from primark but not much kind of mm. thing and they sold this product called polar fleece which is just fleecy jumpers basically and she's like oh all he got me for this year was polar fleece oh you know whatever my boyfriend and i were talking and i was like you know what do you want for christmas you know he's like what do you want for christmas and he's like I know. He's like, how about I get you some nice polar fleece? <laughs> um, and I'm like, wow, that's the one thing that like you carry on with all the ladies. Like I, I don't. Yeah. Anyway, that relationship did not last long. Unsurprisingly. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't even know if it made it to Christmas. I don't know if I got my polar fleece or not. Motherfucker. Now looking back on it, that's a great gift. Like I would love a jumper, like a nice, warm, cuddly jumper. But back in the day, of course, you know, when you're a teenager, you want like, what do you want? Stupid flowers from the gas station. You want like shitty, ugly rings, like from Pandora. You want like, you know, chocolates. I don't know. I still know some women that want all that shit. I mean, it has its place for sure. But when you're a teen, especially in a relationship, you like want perfume, or some dumbass shit, you know? You don't want socks 
you just want validation (laughs) yeah whereas now i'm like please give me socks like i want nothing but socks like just Mm. load me up (laughs) anything to keep me warm i have raynards i have (laughs) bad circulation and i want some damn gloves and socks please right so my question to you is do you think that parents who don't do the santa claus thing and who tell their kids santa claus isn't real from the beginning are inherently evil or just slightly wicked or do you think that actually that's fine like what is your stance on telling the kid about santa I mean, I did the Santa thing just because I think it's, you know, like the study I was saying, it's nice to have a little bit of fantasy sometimes because, you know, life is cruel, cruel, bleak and dark sometimes. Um, But yeah, I make no judgment on what most parents decide to do, you know, as long as it's not hurting the kid and psychologically fucking them over because that therapy bill will be substantial in later life. Um, Yeah, I, I really don't give a fuck. Do what you need to do as long as your kid's happy. I think it could be problematic when the child goes into school and tells all the other kids that Santa isn't real, though. But I oh, guess yeah, even, if you, even if you tell the kid, hey, don't tell anyone else, kids love to feel smarter than other kids. Yep. They love it. And so you know that fucking kid is wait, just waiting to go into school and be like, I know Santa's not real. And everybody's like putting their hands over there. is like, no, don't. <laughs> I actually believed in Santa through a very late age. Yeah. And my mom still, my mom still refers to Santa Claus to me and my brother, who's 20 now. Um, and she's like, people who don't believe in Santa don't get presents from Santa. And we're like, all right, keep the Santa <laughs> chain going. I Fine. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? You know, why the fuck not? Like, I believe in paper currency. Why not Santa Claus? <laughs> <laughs> If you're Bitcoin, then it's like no Santa. (laughs) Exactly. It's all just constructs in the mind. In fact, our entire life is just a series of chemicals brought on by our brain. Like, none of this is real. Oh, that's nice. Merry delusional Christmas. Fa-la-la-la-la, go fuck yourself. (laughs) I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Just like the one in Western Supermare. (laughs) Although that was mainly surf and not class A's. Um, But may your Christmases be as white as um that lady off eastenders is deviated septum <laughs> tiazepam for all <laughs> for all the good boys and girls santa's gonna come down your chimney and give you some tiazepam yay and may all we right. bid you a good merry christmas bid you happy holidays happy hanukkah Good winter. Sleep tight, guys. Say hello to Santa from us.
Hey guys, uh, we love talking to you on the Life Until Death podcast, but we'd also love to hear from you too. Communication is a two-way street. So if you've got any tough questions that you want us to ask each other and make us feel uncomfortable, please send them in. Anything to do with mental health or death um, or whatever, really. Nothing uh, about sex lives or anything like that, guys, because my mom listens to this and she'll kick your ass online. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Don't be gross. Um, <laughs> if you have any other uh comments questions or criticisms about the things that we've talked about or if there's something you really really desperately want us to talk about please please tell us on our facebook page send us an email you know however you want to get in contact with us please do so because we would love to hear from you thanks <laughs>